0: Good morning and welcome to Glendale Christian Church. My name is Andrew Kirschner. I'm the lead minister here at GCC, and I'm really grateful that you've decided to come and worship with us today. Not everybody wants to worship today. In fact, I think people misunderstand church an awful lot today. If we were to ask people who are not members of the church what they think about it, why church is so important, you might hear some people say, well, church is not that important. Church isn't important. I don't like it. I don't want to go. It doesn't do anything for me. There's some people like that. Others might look at church and say, church is important in the same way that a museum of ancient history is important. It sort of tells us how things used to be, but it doesn't really have much for us today. Some people would say that church is important because church is where you can codify your voting block so that your political party can advance. Oh, if only all the Christians could vote just the same way, then there would be a power. And some people think about it in terms of political importance. There are even others who say that the church is important precisely because of what it can do for them individually. Oh, church is important to me because it's supposed to make me feel good. Church exists so that I can feel good and be charged for my week upcoming. And all of these answers miss the mark. All of these answers missed the mark entirely. We understand that the church is important precisely because the most significant thing in all of human history was when Jesus Christ, God the Son, came into humanity. Donned human flesh, lived a perfect and sinless life for us, died on the cross bearing our sins, was raised from the dead, preached to the world, and taken back in glory. And because of this, we as the church are now the representative of Christ here on earth. Just as Jesus revealed perfectly God the Father, so it is that the church reveals Jesus to the world until he comes. And because every single person will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the church is the most important institution in existence, and the church is important precisely because we represent and express Christ to the world. And because everyone will stand before that judgment seat, the church is very very important. There's nothing more crucial than the church. And so today, as we dig into 1 Timothy chapter 3, only a couple of verses, only verses 14, 15, and 16, we'll see in three small verses monumental truth laid out for us. The role of the church described in beautiful picture and the truth the church is to proclaim beautifully explained. So if you have your Bibles, turn open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't, follow along on the screens behind me. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question. The mystery of godliness is great. Christ appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Now these three verses might be easily glazed over as we read about some very, very heavy stuff in the beginning of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The headship and the leadership and the elders and the deacons of the church and what the church is supposed to do in that way. And so we might blaze right over, and yet this is the hinge on which the entire book swings. Everything that was written before includes part of the instruction, and everything that follows includes part of the instruction we recognize that Paul is getting across here through the Holy Spirit a very important point. The church is the current expression of Jesus Christ in the world until he returns. And that means we have a job to do. The church currently expresses Jesus because Jesus is not physically here, but Jesus' body is still here. We are his body. He is the head, we are his body, and we are to be the hands and feet of Christ to this world, taking and sharing the good news with them. The church is the current expression of Jesus to the world. Oh, he'll return, perhaps today he'll return, but until he does, we are filled with the Spirit Fueled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, so that we can express accurately Jesus Christ to the world around us. And the way in which we express accurately Jesus Christ to the world around us is primarily through our relationships, through our godliness, and through our commitment to the truth. We've got to have appropriate relationships in church. There has to be appropriate relationships. And we recognize that Jesus is the head of the church, and that in, in headship, there's order within the church. Jesus prayed for unity among believers When we allow disunity to divide, when we allow small matters that are not important to divide us, and we break up as church friends, and we hop from one to another, we're not demonstrating Jesus Christ very well in our relationships. Godliness is another way that we demonstrate Jesus Christ to the world. The world says things ought to be one way, but Jesus says things ought to be another way. And so as we stand in contrast, apart from, separated from the world, and yet with a mission to reach the world, being ambassadors for Christ who go into the world to share the good news with the world, they see that there's a godliness. If there is no difference between the world and the church, then the church is useless because the world is running headlong away from God, and insofar as the church gives into and starts to reflect the world rather than Christ, the church loses power rather than gaining it. But of course, the reason that the church has power in the first place is because it stands upon Jesus Christ, who is the truth. When our commitment to truth is deepened and it grows ever more, we understand full well that we have something valuable to give to the world. We can't just offer the world something that makes them feel good. We must present truth. And the truth that Jesus wants us to know involves godliness. In fact, verse 16 describes it this way. Beyond all question, the mystery of true godliness is great. There is a mystery concerning true godliness, but the good thing about biblical mystery is that they do not stay mysterious. A mystery is not something that cannot be fathomed or understood. Rather, a mystery is something that cannot be known until it is revealed. But we have the mind of Christ, and the mystery of godliness has been revealed to us. Godliness is not something that we could just develop on our own. Through general revelation and natural theology, we might be able to discern that God exists and that God wants us to be a certain way, but we would never be able to describe what that way is without special revelation. It has to be revealed to us. And the godliness that is available for us is true. It is not false. It is not a facsimile of godliness, it is genuine godliness that is available to us, but the world is confused about how one achieves that godliness. The world loves to think that we become godly as we follow certain rules. Now the rules are always changing based on whoever is in power at the time, but the rules are what make us godly. And if we do what we're told to do, we can be godly people. Whether it's obeying this, or going here, or doing that, or not obeying this, or not doing this, or not going there. There's an element of godliness that people want to sell us, but it's not true. And if anyone other than somebody who is a legitimate ambassador of Christ tells you this is what godliness is, but it doesn't line up with scripture, you just toss that idea. You want to know the secret to true godliness? It's described in a six-part early church hymn. In an early church hymn, there are six stanzas that we're about to read together, and in this early hymn, we see the description of Jesus and what he has done for us. Godliness is expressed in the person of Jesus Christ, because Christ appeared in the flesh. Christ appeared in the flesh, This is the doctrine of the incarnation, which normally is reserved for Christmas time, and we love to talk about the incarnation around Christmas. I even like to say happy incarnation instead of Merry Christmas to folks. That's how obsessed I am with the doctrine of the incarnation, I love it. The doctrine of the incarnation says the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, took on humanity, he became the God-man. He never stopped being God, but he also became human. This is possible because humans are made in the image of God, therefore all God lacks in order to be human is a hominid human body, and so when the Holy Spirit miraculously whips one up for the second person of the Trinity to indwell, Jesus becomes a human being. Christ appeared in the flesh. This is God's definitive self-disclosure, not the law. If there's anybody who says that God has definitively disclosed himself through the law, whereby they mean you can godly your way to God by obeying the law, they're all wet. You can't luck your way, you can't work your way, you can't do anything on your power to obey the law to get you godly and right with God. There is one and only one way to be right with God, and that is disclosed in the person of Jesus Christ becoming flesh for us. This is God's definitive self-disclosure. Jesus reveals perfectly the Father to us. He appeared in the flesh The way that this happened is that the Holy Spirit miraculously created a body inside of the Virgin Mary who carried him. And this is where we hear about Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the Bible also describes it as Chris was talking about in his communion meditation today. John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The first way we understand godliness is that Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh, but he didn't just appear in the flesh. When he appeared in the flesh, he got things done. He lived as one of us, but he lived a perfect and sinless life unlike any of us. We all struggle with sin, but not Jesus. Because he's God, he was able to overcome any temptation thrown his way, and he lived a perfect and sinless life. And even though you and I deserve to pay the penalty for our sins on our own cross, Jesus did that for us. He died on the cross bearing our sins, but that was not the end of his story. For the second stanza in the hymn says that he was vindicated by the Spirit. In order to be vindicated, there has to be something apparently wrong with you. And the thing that was apparently wrong with Jesus was that he died. The God-man died on the cross for our sins. But he did not stay dead. He was vindicated by the Spirit. For when the Holy Spirit raised the Lord Jesus to life once more, vindicating, validating, and verifying that the sacrifice he made on our behalf worked, now, the Holy Spirit has always been involved with Jesus since the creation of his body to declaring him to be the Son of God at the baptism of Christ through the miraculous workings and now through the resurrection. In fact, the Bible in Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 describes Jesus Christ this way. It says about Jesus Christ these words. Jesus is the one who was through the Holy Spirit appointed son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. It was the spirit of holiness raising Jesus from the dead that verifies and vindicates his position as God the son. So now everyone knows about God because they can access Jesus Christ. He appeared in the flesh. He was vindicated in this spirit and was seen by angels. Angels have always had a fascination with Jesus, angels have always had a fascination with jesus angels both fallen and still in the service of god angels fallen and the devil knows this full well are very keen to know what jesus is doing for they're always wanting to find out about jesus always wanting to throw him off mission and always wanting to derail his progress angels still in the service of god are also very keen to know about jesus They're interested and they're wanting to know how it is that he's going to bring about the salvation that was prophesied. For the angels know full well that they can't get the job done. Even if the archangel Michael is able to duke it out with the devil in combat, angel can't save us. Michael can't save us because no angel can die for us because no angel can become a human. And so it is that they are fascinated. In fact, the book of Hebrews takes painstaking efforts to declare that Jesus is superior to all of the angels. But the angels are keen to see what's happening with him. That's why at his birth, they declare to the shepherds where they ought to go to worship the newborn king. That's why they ministered to the Lord after his temptation in the desert. That's why they were with the Lord in the garden as he was asking the father if there was any other way. And that's why they were the ones who pointed to the empty tomb. Oh, you're looking for Jesus? He's not here. Come see the place where they laid him. Look elsewhere because he's no longer here. He's risen, just as he said. Angels are these wonderful messengers. In fact, there were a couple of angels who saw the ascension. And when Peter and the other guys were standing there and they were looking up, seeing Jesus float out of their midst, it was two angels who came up and stood by him and said, What are you fellas doing? And we're looking at Jesus, and this is the same Jesus whom you're looking at He's going to come back in the same way, in power and on the clouds, referring back to Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 again as the son of man because he is the son of God. He is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the spirit, was seen by angels, and indeed was preached among the nations, just as Jesus commanded he would be. In the book of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. All nations. In fact, Jesus lays out the entire outline for the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 8, when he tells the disciples right before the ascension, you will be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem... Then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. And so it is when the Holy Spirit filled and fueled them. They started the church in Jerusalem. And then it was expanded to Jerusalem, or to Judea and Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. And to this day, it is still being expanded. It is still being expanded to the ends of the earth. And it is being preached among the nations that he appeared in the flesh is vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, preached among the nations, and believed on in the world. There's only one way for that which is preached to become efficacious for your salvation, and that is for it to be believed. The best preaching in the world that falls on deaf ears won't get accomplished, and it won't accomplish anything. The Word of God will not come back void, but the Word of God that is not believed does not bring about the salvation that God wants. It must be believed. When the word of God is preached and when the gospel is proclaimed, it is now the responsibility of the hearer to believe the truth. And so we pray that God would give belief to all those who hear the message. But it is the only way that you can be right with God. The only way that you can accept the salvation that he offers is through belief, which is why Jesus says things like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he sent me, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, whoever believes in him. That's what the Apostle Paul will say in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses nine and 10. He says, anyone who declares with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised Christ from the dead will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified. You must believe. And so it is that Christ appeared in the flesh was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. I'm surprised at how many preachers give so little time to the ascension. The ascension is a truly important Christian doctrine, for the ascension of Christ demonstrates that Jesus is still in the process of being human for our salvation. He didn't stop being human. He ascended to God in his resurrection body. He was taken up in glory, and he will return in glory. In order for Jesus' second coming to come about, he has to first leave after his first coming. The ascension and being taken up into glory and sitting at the right hand of the Father, where Jesus is now seated, is necessary for him to return. And when he returns, we will receive our glory, our glorified resurrection bodies. We don't have them yet, but that's one of the great hopes of Christianity. We will receive a body much like Christ's, one that will not get old and will not die and will not grow ill, and we will have a body that can keep up with our soul, but not until he returns. And so his being taken up in glory is very, very important so that we recognize that he will come back Until he comes back, we have a job to do, and that job is to express Jesus Christ in the world until he returns. Just as Jesus Christ himself expressed God and was God incarnate, so it is that the church of Jesus expresses Jesus and in some sense is Christ incarnate for the world. He dwells us through the spirit and we are his body. And so what must we do about this? What can we possibly do? How can Glendale Christian Church be the expression of Jesus in the world? We know that it works through relationships, and we know that it works through godliness, and we know that it works through a commitment to the truth. So what we will continue to do is what we have been doing, and we will devote our head, our heart, and our hands to the Lord Almighty. It starts with our heads. There need to be good sermons preached. And if I preach sermons that are not good, or if I preach sermons that deviate from the truth, it is your job to call me out on that. That's exactly what Luke and Paul commended the Bereans for doing. In Acts chapter 17, it describes them as being more noble than the Thessalonians because they checked every day to see if what Paul said was in scripture. If I'm saying things that are not from the word of God, you need to be able to say, that's not from the word of God, that's not right. But if I'm saying things that line up with the Word of God, then you should take those sermons and allow them to start the head transformation. There are challenges that we offer. This church must be high invitation, but it must also be high challenge. For without a challenge, there's nothing that spurs men and women onto action. There has to be a goal. There must be a challenge that is issued. We offer classes and groups. There are great books to read and discussions to be had and doctrines to be studied. It starts with the head. And notice how we do this all together. The entire church is congregating and hearing a sermon. Individually, you will go and you will study the word of God on your own, and in a smaller setting, whether just coming from Bible class or going to a conversational discipleship group or maybe a small group or maybe a men's group or a women's study, you see the opportunity to grow in head knowledge in a smaller setting. This is vitally important, for it starts with the head. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, but it can never just stay in your head. It has to go to your heart. And your heart demonstrates Christ to this world through dedicated prayer. Don't just pray in some scattershot way. God, thanks for all the good stuff. Please fix all the bad stuff. Amen. That's not going to cut it. I want you to dedicate your prayer. I want you to have some prayer dedicated to Glendale Christian Church. Some prayer dedicated to intercession. Some prayer dedicated to the things that Paul has asked us to pray about in this very book. Dedicated prayer. And encouragement, oh, encouragement is so important. I need the encouragement, and everyone needs the encouragement. Encouragement is critical. If you just read the New Testament and look for all the verses that talk about encourage one another, you'll be surprised at how many there are. Notice that we must demonstrate our heart by encouraging and also by inviting. Everybody can invite people to church. We've got plenty of open seats, and there's plenty of chairs in the back. We can expand. There's lots of room. Invite people to Sunday morning. Invite people to Wednesday night. Invite people to your small group. Invite people to have a conversation with you. The more we are inviting, the more we're showing our heart to the world around us, and we need to trust in God's goodness. Oh, it's easy to see the world's, the world's bad. The world is awfully bad. There's all kinds of, just watch the news. Every single night, you see something bad. The more we trust God's goodness, even in the face of the world's evil, we are growing in our heart disposition towards God, and then we follow that disposition up with some action. We join a serve team, or we grow in our holiness and godliness. We give, we get ready for fall festival, we get ready for the great serve too. There's all kinds of things that we do, but we have to put it into practice. If you believe the truth that Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh and was vindicated by the Spirit and was seen by angels, and was preached in the world, and was believed on in the nations, and was taken up in glory, then you need to do something with that. And one of the things you can do with it is join the serve teams. We have so many teams that need help. We even have some teams that need leadership. We need people to serve, but we also need godliness We see that the world is standing one way, and when we stand in a different way, in contradiction to the world, we demonstrate our godliness. We need to be godly. The world must be able to see that there's a difference between folk who go to Glendale Christian Church and people who just go to the university or the Walmart or the schools or the job down the line. They gotta see that there's something different about how we live, but we can also give. Now, if you've got time, give it. If you've got energy, give it. If you've got effort, give it. If you've got money, give it. That's fine. We need you to give. If you don't have money, give your time. If you don't have time, give your effort. Everybody's got something to give. So let's give it all you've got. And there are a couple of really specific ways we need some giving soon. Fall festivals in four weeks. It's in 28 days from today, and fall festival is our big Halloween alternative so that kids don't have to go door-to-door in this crazy world. They can come to the church in a well-lit parking lot, and they can go through a very safe place where good, godly Christian people will hand out candy with a smile, invite them to church, give them information about it, before they go jump in the bounce house and get a s'more. That's what we're going to do, and I need your help. I need a lot of help. First of all, I need a lot of candy. So every time you go to Walmart, Sam's, Target, Costco, whatever, buy a couple extra bags of candy. Now, some of you can afford it. I know you can. We're in Southeast Springfield. Compared to the rest of the world, we're all rich. Compared to the rest of the town, some of us are doing all right. Let's get some candy, okay? We don't want to run out. So let's get some candy so that we can give the trunks away. We need some people to sign up to hand that candy out. Now here's how it's gonna work. You bring your pickup truck, you bring your car, and you park where Clay tells you. And then you've got your decorated vehicle, and you're dressed up, and you give candy out. Now maybe you think, well, I don't want to. I don't want to decorate my vehicle. I can drive it there and, and give candy out, but I don't want to deck it out. Fine. My family will decorate three cars for you. We will decorate three. We've de- we've decided we'll decorate ours and our second, and we'll decorate three on top of that. So the Kirshner family, will deck out five if we have to. And so if you just want to sign up and you're like, well, I don't really know how to decorate my car or what theme to do, we'll take care of it. Can you come smile and hand out candy? Awesome. And if you can't, can you just pay for it? Great. And if you can't, can you pray for us? All right. But not only that, we've got Great Serve 2 coming up. Did you guys have fun with the Great Serve that we did back after Easter? Oh, that was pretty fun. People said, we should do that again. We said, all right, how about November 21st? We're going to do it November 21st. And on that day, one of the ways we're going to serve is by getting to eat a big Thanksgiving dinner for lunch. It's going to be great. And so we're going to need people to make Thanksgiving dinner before Thanksgiving. That's going to be one of the ways to serve. Also, we're going to do some stuff at the ball field. Also, we're going to help uh, anybody who's a member of the church who can't get out and finish that yard work, that last little push of yard work for the season. So if we've got some elderly, some widows, some people who aren't going to, we're going to get that done for you. We're going to get that done for you. We're going to send teams out and we're going to get that yard looking fine before winter fully hits. And then the other thing we're going to do, instead of packing meals uh, to send to Haiti, we're going to pack something else. We're going to pack shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child, and it's going to be awesome. There are some kids around the world who don't have moms and dads to take them to church. There are some kids around the world who don't even get to go to church. There are some kids around the world who aren't going to get a Christmas present, and it's our job to get one for them. And so what we're going to do is we're going to provide like 100 or 200 of those boxes. I don't know how many yet. We're working on the logistics yet. But we're going to provide these boxes, these green and red boxes. And what we want you to do is fill them up with stuff. Because this is going to be the only gift they get. But that gift, it's not only going to have toys and hygiene products and a wow item, like a soccer ball and a pump, or something that you can fit into this little box. Not chintzy, but good some good stuff that we can send out. Then there's also going to be personalized letters, and there's going to be information about Jesus and language appropriate to the land that will receive these boxes. And then there's going to be follow-up with local ministers and pastors who are going to check on every single kid who got one of these, and discipleship is going to happen. You're not just giving a toy to some poor kid. You're giving the gospel to some needy sinner. That's what we're doing at The Great Serve Too and if you're interested in buying some of the stuff that's going into those boxes, we're gonna need some combs and we're gonna need some brushes and we're gonna need some uh, light clothing issues and we're gonna need some soccer balls and a whole bunch of other stuff. I went ahead and printed off 25 gift-giving suggestions at the Hub. It gives a little explanation of what Operation Christmas Child is. You can look them up online or you can go out there and get the Hub and when you go shopping, you can be like, yeah, you know what, before November 21st, they're gonna collect stuff. So this month, I'll buy candy. Next month, I'll buy stuff to send around the world and it'll be great and you'll feel so good about it because you'll be doing what jesus wants you to expressing yourself with your head your heart and your hands it's very important that we do that and so that's what we're going to do now the reason that we're going to do this is because we are god's household. In chapter three, verses 14 and 15, Paul gives us three word pictures about the church. The first is that we're God's household. Now, a household has order and it has relationships. Relationships that reflect Christ to the world. And as our relationships grow, we better reflect Christ to the world. Now, Jesus is the head of the church. And we believe in the principle of headship. And so the elders of the church are going to be males. And we believe in the order of headship. And so there's different ways that relationships happen within the church. But we want relationships to be strong and unified and together. And here's what I've noticed. The more deeply you connect with somebody at church and the more deeply you sink in with them, the more likely you are to stay at a church the less likely that you have a deep spiritual Christian friendship with someone else at church, the easier it is to go when you don't like the music and the easier it is to go when you see a personality conflict and the easier it is to go when something's frustrating you. And so here at Glendale Christian Church, we try to do big church well together. We try to encourage individuals to have their personal relationship with God, but we also push for smaller setting. It's not my job to hold everybody's hand, it's my job to provide opportunities for discipleship and friendship to happen through Bible class, through small group, through conversational discipleship groups, through all kinds of different avenues. And the more we grow in relationships, the more we will be able to reflect God's unity to the world around us. But the more we try to do Christian isolationism, the more we try to Lone Ranger Christian this, the less the world thinks the church has anything valuable but the church has everything valuable because the church is the expression of Jesus Christ in the world until he comes and everyone will stand before his judgment seat. And so the church is the most important institution because if people can fall in love with the church, Christ's body, and become part of that, then they are gonna be right with him and they're gonna be able to help make more disciples. It is relationships. And so if you don't have good relationships at church, Don't look anywhere but the mirror. And then when you're done, reach out to someone. Join conversational discipleships, a small group, a Sunday school class, a a Wednesday night men's group, Thursday morning or Wednesday morning ladies' Bible study. There's no shortage of opportunity. I promise you that. The second word picture is that it's the church of the living God. Now this household of God is the church of the living God. Now this means that godliness is supposed to be demonstrated such that God lives in and among us. We're not some church of a dead God like the temple of Diana in in Ephesus. Oh beautiful, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And all it did was serve a dead, fake, false, fictional goddess. The church is the church of the living God. And yet, Some of us go around acting like God's dead. Some of us treat church with such disdain and such lack of excitement that you'd think, well, they serve a fictional, fake, false God that's not even real. I want you to get pumped and excited about God and godliness, and I want you to see that godliness stands in opposition to the world. The world says this is okay, godliness says no it's not, and we're gonna stick with what God says. The world says do it this way. Godliness says no you don't, you do it God's way and you follow the word, and you see that he's alive. Now, this looks a lot of different ways. I've, I'm blessed with three awesome daughters. And one of my youngest daughter, Allie, she's in sixth grade. And she's so excited to get to come to big church every week. She's excited to be out of the elementary group and in big church because she gets to hear daddy preach and all the big songs and everything together. And I love her excitement. My middle daughter, her name's Jenna. And she won't come every, uh, the third Sunday of every month. She'll be at first service because during second service, she's volunteering in their early childhood or the elementary area. And that's important because the teachers need help. The teachers need a little bit of crowd control once in a while. And Jen is there to help color pictures. Jen is there to help refill snacks. Jen is there to tell kids about Jesus. And she's just 13 years old. It's awesome. My oldest daughter, Kate, she's been one who's been interested in truth for a long time. I remember at a different church we attended when I was a professor down in Joplin. She went and she heard this nice sweet old lady named Joyce talk about the resurrection story on Easter and it was the very watered down kid glove version and it was bad guys did some stuff to Jesus and then put him in a, in a place and then he came back and she interrupted I didn't even tell her to she said no I'm sorry Miss Joyce um, the bad thing they did to him was crucify him on the cross and the place they put him was the tomb and when he comes back from the tomb that's called resurrection and I was like that's my girl that's my girl She's just like her dad. She loves truth, and she loves to do that. And I said, Kate, you're going to have a lifelong battle with pride and arrogance and people thinking, you know truth, but you don't have love. You got to speak the truth in love, darling. But the truth is the most important. The truth is the most important, so speak it in love. And that'll be a problem that she has her whole life, is trying to figure out how to do that. But I know that she loves the truth. And lastly, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Oh, yeah, the truth is important. Our commitment to putting the truth into daily life through doctrine and conduct should be the most important thing about how we go about making disciples. We are not here to acquiesce to the world or to cater to your feelings. We're not. And if you're frustrated about something, seek to address that something. It's not about making you feel good. It's about making God magnified and glorified. And the truth is the way to get that done. Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the entire foundation. And the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar, because when you rest something on the pillar, the whole world sees it, and we hold the truth up. And the foundation of truth, because it squares it and shows right where truth ought to be. And the church ought to be right at the the church. The truth always ought to be at the church. But it's not always. Sometimes the truth is not at church, and when you see some churches that are more concerned with fitting in with the world than they are sticking to the word of God, that is not how Glendale is going to be. Rather, Glendale is going to be a church that preaches the truth and sticks to the truth and always is going to try to preach that truth in love. But the most important thing is truth. If you love people without truth, you haven't really shown them love. If you give people without love, if you give people truth without love, they've at least heard the truth, but they probably aren't going to listen. So you better give them the most important thing, the right doctrine, having lived the most important way, lovingly. So how are you going to do it, Glendale? How are you going to do it very specifically? This week, here's the challenge. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14, 15, and 16, and all of chapter 4 every day this week. Every day. Read all of it every day this week. There's like 19 verses. Read it every single day. The end of chapter three and all of chapter four. Every single day this week. That'll be how you hone your head on the right stuff. And then I want you to contemplate the role of the church as the current expression of Jesus in the world. I really want you to think about that. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. The church is Jesus Christ incarnate. We are the body of Christ. Like Christ is within us, and we're to reach out to the world. We're to be his hands and his feet. I want you to think deeply about that, meditate about that, contemplate that truth all week long, and then I want you to pray specifically that Glendale Christian Church will grow in relationships, will grow in godliness, and will grow in commitment to the truth, and if you don't have a godly relationship, I want you to pray for one, and if you don't have enough, I want you to pray for Christian friends right here at church, and then I want you to reach out. I want you to grow in godliness. I want you to be separate from the world. Never apart from the world, but separate from the world. We reach back into the world with the gospel, but we don't live in the world. We live in Christ, and yet we're called to be ambassadors to the world. So let's go to the world, but let's not be of it, and let's make sure we go to the world with a commitment to the truth, because the world has to see that the only church that matters is a church that's really going to preach the truth. Because if the church looks like the world, then that church is not a reflection of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ came to reflect God, not the world around him. And lastly, I want you to share the gospel. But when you share the gospel this week, and it's okay if you share it with another Christian. It's best if you share it with somebody who's not a Christian. But even if you're just still practicing, I want you to share the gospel specifically using the six stanza hymn from uh, verse 16. Jesus Christ appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached to the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory, and I want you to pitch the gospel using those six points. And if we do that, oh, we're reflecting Jesus. We're inviting people to church, and we're growing together, because the church is the single most important institution in the entire world, because we are to reflect Jesus,